every precious one, a child you died to save. If you gave your life to love them, so will I. He's the one who never leaves the one behind. You know, what I love about that video and that song is that we see the immensity of God, the enormity of God, the creative power of God, the way he just is a great conductor on the stage from billions of light years away to sizes we can't imagine. But his heart is with us. He didn't die for his stars. He didn't die for the planet. He came in the flesh because he wanted to rescue us from damnation. He wanted to make us children that could be who he designed us to be and live in joy and peace and fellowship with him, that we're the apple of his eye. And I don't know about you, but I can't conceive of it. I can't imagine it. We didn't earn it. We don't deserve it. But he gave himself away because that's who he is. He's love. And when he's called us to love, he's called us to love others. And the way we love them is to introduce them to that God that loved us so much. So, let's talk a little bit about go telling it together, all right? And I want to start by sharing a little story um, about a funeral that I went to back in November. And it was at All Souls Unitarian Church. It was the mother of a friend of mine who passed away. And... Um, it was a really nice service, uh, very welcoming people. They have a big sign on the door, only everybody welcome, which is great. And um, there were a lot of stories, a lot of laughs. But as I was sitting there, you know, it's not my role, it's none of our role to begin to try to guess someone's position with Christ, whether they know Christ or not. But in my spirit, as the message unfolded, as the stories were told, I just felt like this precious woman who we're all here to honor didn't know you. And I remember at the end of the service, we sang a little song. We'll sing in the sunshine. We'll laugh every day. We'll sing in the sunshine. And I'll be on my way. And I just had this image that we were picturing her sitting on a dock somewhere with her toes in a lake fishing for bass. And I pray that whatever I sensed wasn't true. But it felt like a sham. It felt like a lie. It felt like a lot of music and laughter to cover up a reality that most of us don't want to face or think about. How many of you have been to a funeral like that? I couldn't stay for the reception. I had to walk out, and I remember getting in my car, and I just wept. I just wept because I, we see this, and we know the truth, and we have opportunities every day to share something. But there's a moment where it's too late we're allotted a certain amount of time to walk on this earth, and it's, there's a moment when it's time's up. And every day, it's time's up for some people. And every day I walk past people that I know don't know the Lord, and I don't know when time's up is for them, and I walk by them. And I love them, but do I love them? 
I don't know. Let's talk a little bit about God's love. We know that God is love. And one of the things that we hear from unbelievers is, how can you say there's a God that loves people and sends them to hell? You know, Jesus loves you, go roast for eternity. And I've heard it again and again, and I've struggled with it myself. Let's look at Psalm 136. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. His love endures forever. To Him alone does great wonders, who by His understanding made the heavens, who spread out the earth upon the waters, who made the great lights that we saw in that video, the sun to govern the day, the moon and the stars to govern the night. To Him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, swept Pharaoh and his army into the sea, struck down great kings, killed mighty kings. How do we, how do we balance this? God's wrath is real. I don't understand it, but we have to understand what is God's love, and God's love requires mercy. And that is the mercy that calls out to every one of us every day in a billion different ways. Come to me. I'm here for you. I've done it for you. Just accept me. Just bow your knee to me and let me give you life. And it's over and over and over and over if we'll hear it. But there's also justice. I would love to say there is no hell, there is no wrath, there is no judgment. But if you look at the Word of God, there is more about wrath than there is about grace in terms of actual uh, the actual words of scriptures. Now, we know God's all about grace, and that's his story from beginning to end. But he doesn't, doesn't let us forget the potential peril that we're in. And that is, we turn to him, we bow our knee, we submit to him, or we face eternity without him. That's it. That's the only option. God has to deal with sin. In his perfect love for us, he can't create an eternity for us that is tainted and broken with sin evil, wickedness, all the things have to be put ultimately to judgment. And if we're blessed with the grace to accept Jesus Christ, then it's been taken care of. But if we choose not to, there is a reality. Now, we can't deny that hell is real, and I'm not going to go through all the hell scriptures. Last time I preached on heaven, do you remember? Anybody remember that? Heaven. That was a good one. If any of you are visiting today, I'm sorry we're talking about hell. It's not a typical scripture that we talk about. It's not a concept that we deal with all the time. But that's what we're dealing with today. In Matthew chapter 25, we, we'll go back to that last one. We'll go back two more. Yeah. It talks about the sheep and the goats. God's going to divide the sheep and the goats. The sheep will enter into his presence. The goats will enter into eternal torment. If our name is not written in the Lamb's book of life, we're thrown into the lake of fire. It can't be any more clear than that. It is clear. God is warning us, not with metaphors, not with parables, but with very specific words that are not to be, you know, let's not rewrite what they say. They say what they say. A few months ago, Pastor Chris preached on the Bible rules. And there was something that he said, I think he was talking about Billy Graham, that there was a moment when Billy Graham says, I'm going to believe your word, whether I understand it, whether it gives me trouble or comfort, I'm going to believe it, you said it, that finishes it, that ends it. And that's really where we stand. 
And I'm so thankful that our pastor stands there too because that's what I honestly believe is the only way to live the life that we're called to. But we have to understand that God's heart is to save. It is not to damn. It is not to judge. In Ezekiel 33.1, As I live, saith the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways. Why will ye die, O house of Israel? 2 Peter 3.9, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but he's long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. We know God's heart. His heart is to save. Let's go on to the next slide. You know, one of the scriptures, my mom brought this to my attention a few weeks ago, and I, I think it speaks to this issue of God's heart for people. If we read Revelation in chapter 8, just prior to the trumpet judgments, just prior to basically a third of the earth are going to die as soon as those trumpet judgments come. Billions of people are going to go into eternity. And there's silence in heaven. It says, when he opened the seventh seal, this is the trumpet judgments, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. Now, I don't know how you imagine heaven, but I can tell you that from its inception, I don't believe that it was ever silent. There was praises. There was fellowship. There was worship. There was interceding for mankind. I don't know what the angels were up to. I don't know what everybody was doing, but I can see that it was a constant flow of busyness. And yet, in this moment, these last 30-minute countdown to judgment, where time was going to be up, heaven was silent. Heaven was solemn. I believe this is a moment where God is saying to himself, this is your last chance. When the silence is over, time is up. And I think there was a grieving in his heart. Every second of that 30 minutes, I believe that God was saying, one more, two more, 50 more. That one's almost there. That one's almost there. Holy Spirit, convict their heart. Pull them in. They still have time. Now, I'd like just for not 30 minutes, I'd like for a very short period of time us to imagine we're in God's position. And I want us to close our eyes. I want you to imagine someone that you know and love. Someone you've witnessed to or prayed for. Someone that makes you smile. Someone that brings you joy. A family member, a coworker, a friend does not know the Lord. I want you to imagine that at the end of this silence, time is up. So let's just have a moment of silence and picture that person that doesn't know Christ. Time is up. There will be a day when time is up. I don't want us to forget that. God's always had a provision. Even when he was judging, in the middle of his wrath, he has a provision. During the time of the plagues in Israel, the death of the firstborn, 
I tell you, if an Egyptian had decided to turn to God and painted their doorposts with the blood, they would have been spared. I believe there were men from Pharaoh's army that would have had a home in the promised land if they had bowed their knee. The prophets came. Jesus came. He came to die for us, to heal, to teach, to show God's grace. He's always had a provision. We are His provision now. His Holy Spirit is in us now. This is his mouthpiece to the world now. This is his heart. His hands and feet is us. What is at stake if we don't go? We've been given one purpose on this planet, one job, and that is to have Jesus' heart to seek and save the lost. I'd like you to hear a few words of an atheist on this topic. to talk to you about this. Uh, I get home from the show, and at the end of the show, as I've mentioned before, we go out and we, uh, we talk to folks and, you know, sign an occasional autograph and shake hands and so on. And there was one guy waiting over to the side in the, um, what I call the hover position, after I was all done. Big guy, probably about my age. Big guy. And, um, he had been the, um, the guy who has uh, picks the joke during our psychic comedian section of the show. Uh, so he had the props from that in his hand because we'd give those away. He had the, uh, the joke book and the, and the envelope and the paper and stuff. If you haven't seen the live show, uh, it's not worth explaining. But he had props from the show that we'd given him from the night before. Uh, he wasn't the guy that night. And he walked over to me and he said... Um, I was here last night at the show, and uh, uh, I saw the show, and I liked it. I wanted, and he was very complimentary about my use of language and um, complimentary about, you know, honesty and stuff. He said nice stuff. No reason to go into it. He said nice stuff. And then he said, I brought this for you. And he handed me a uh, Gideon pocket edition um, I thought it said from the New Testament, but I also thought it was Psalms from the New Testament, right? Or, uh, Psalms from the New, just part of the New Testament. A little book about this big, this thick, you know. He said, I wrote in the front of it, and I wanted you to have this. I'm kind of uh, proselytizing. And then he said, I'm a businessman. I'm, I'm sane, I'm not crazy. And he looked me right in the eye and did all of this. And uh, it was really wonderful. I believe he knew that I was an atheist. But he was not uh, defensive. And he looked me right in the eyes. And he was truly complimentary. It wasn't in any way, it didn't seem like empty flattery. He was really kind and nice and sane and looked me in the eyes and talked to me and then gave me this Bible. And I've always said, you know, that I, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe 
that there's a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever. And you think that, uh, well, it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. And atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself. Uh, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, but that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. And I've always thought that, and I've written about that, and I've thought of it conceptually. This guy was a really good guy. He was polite and honest and sane, and he cared enough about me to proselytize and give me a, a Bible, which had written in it a little note to me, uh, not very personal, but just, you know, like to show and so on. And then like five phone numbers for him and an email address if I wanted to get in touch. Now, I know there's no God, and one polite person living his life right doesn't change that. Uh, but I'll tell you, he was a very, very, very good man. And uh, that's really important. And with that kind of goodness, uh, it's okay to have that deep of a disagreement. I still think that religion does a lot of bad stuff, but man, that was a good man who gave me that book. That's all I wanted to say. think that we had an atheist preaching from our pulpit. But those words really resonate. How much do I have to hate somebody not to tell them about Jesus? But we let ourselves off the hook sometimes. And I want to be very clear. I've been convicted over this for months. And part of the reason I wrote that play that we saw last week was that I was putting myself up there as someone who, on the one hand, has a heart to reach people, on the other hand, is afraid, or it's an inconvenience, or I have my own self that I'm worrying about. So anything that I'm saying today, I'm saying about myself, and I'm saying just to see if we've got some common hearts that we can bring together, like Pastor Chris talked about, and build up a little flame for a heart for evangelism. If we look at the fact is that Evangelism is a divine responsibility. It is the great commission. It is not the great suggestion. It says here in Ezekiel, Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the people of Israel, so hear the word I speak and give them warning from me. When I say to a wicked person, you will surely die, and you did not warn them or speak out to dissuade them from their evil ways in order to save their life, that wicked person will die for their sin, and I will hold you accountable for their blood." But if you do warn them, the wicked person, and they don't turn, they will die for their sin, but you will have saved yourself. Go to the next one. I tell you, whoever publicly me, acknowledges me before others, publicly, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. Only, my only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. 
I want to tell you a little story. It's a tale of two Walmarts. You may have, it was a sequel to Dickens. Um, Last summer there was an eclipse. I don't know if you remember. Remember the eclipse that came over? Well, Marie Herbert, second row here uh, in the flowery shirt, uh, and I decided to take the day off and drive up to Missouri where there was going to be totality. We would see the darkness come and thought it would be a kind of a cool thing. And so we had had some testimonies the, the Sunday before about the signs of the times and about the need for evangelism. And there was a woman that felt compelled to come and just share this need to go out to the highways and the byways. And so Marie you know, she was ready. She had her tracks. She was copying them off. You know, there was smoke coming out of her printer. And um, our plan was to go, and we were going to use this opportunity in the darkness to approach people. Now, seven hours away in Tulsa, that sounded great to me. I was excited. I was ready to go. And we're driving along, and we get to, we finally get there, and we go to this Chinese restaurant. And we're sitting down doing the pig out buffet thing. And Marie looks over, there's a table. And she begins to, excuse me, sir, can I help? Can I, do you know the Lord? And are you a Christian? And, and I'm thinking, Marie, they're eating their egg food young. And she just, she's just telling it and just talking to them. Turned out they were believers. And so they had a little Jesus fest there. I thought, okay, fine. So then we go to the Walmart. We, of all places to watch a, a, an eclipse, we went to a Walmart on the hill and uh, we sat in the car, we had our little glasses, we were watching the eclipse. And when the eclipse was over, I turned over to Marie to say, you know, ready to go. And she's out the door. She's out the door, she's walking up to people with her tracks in her hand. And I'm just sitting there. I'm sitting there. I'm not moving, I'm not speaking, I'm not even praying for her. I'm just sit. I'm sorry, I'm not. I'm not. I'm sitting there watching her go from person to person to person with a big smile and just talking to them. Amen. amen. No, no amens for Jeff? I drove her there. <laughs> that was eight hours in the car, each way. You people. Um, so when I, got, when I got back, I felt that I was, I got a real burden to be doing more street witnessing, evangelism of some kind. Do something. Go tell it somewhere. So I went with a group of people from Grace Church just across the way. They had a Wednesday night uh, outreach downtown. And I went probably eight or nine times with a group of people. And I found myself, I kept thinking if I do it once or twice, it'll get easier. I'll be better at it, you know. It's all about me, you know. And I found that when it came to talking to street people or alcoholics or the down and out, I didn't have any problem. Those are my peeps, anyway. Um, but the truth is they have needs, and they're willing to talk to us because they might want a little something. And they don't have people that seem to show love to them. So often they were great to talk to. But I realized I prayed for them. I loved on them. But I didn't really share the gospel. I didn't really find out if they knew Jesus. I didn't lay out the plan of salvation. I didn't pray that prayer with them. I prayed that they'd have a place to sleep and that they'd feel God's love. And heaven forbid if I ever saw a nice, well-dressed person out for the evening going to some of those swanky new restaurants, when they walked by, I didn't want to even approach them because I knew they didn't want to hear from me. I was sure they didn't want to hear from me. So over eight attempts, I had a few prayers, some good encounters, but I felt like a failure. So before Easter, 
we had such a wonderful time with the journey to the cross. How many of you went to the journey to the cross? It was so wonderful. And we had an opportunity to go out and invite people to the journey to the cross. So I call my partner in evangelism, Marie, and uh, we get a table and a banner and all the invite cards, and we go to Walmart. This is the second Walmart. And we're going to give out invitations and invite people there. And so I'm setting up the table. I want the table to look good. I've got the little banner, and I've got it all tied. I'm spending like 30 minutes, you know, making sure that the table's looking good. Well, Marie's already off giving all these things out. Come to the journey of the cross. Come to the journey. And I'm saying, well, Marie, I'll just sit here because I have the table. And, of course, people will come to me because people come to tables. Nobody came to me. Marie was ambushing them you know, as they were coming out of the Walmart. And she finally came over to me, and she pointed her cane at me. And she said, Jesus told us to go to the highways and the byways. Now you get yourself over there to the other exit and start giving out those tracks. And so I sheepishly went over there, and I found that people accepted them, and they were pretty nice. I didn't see anyone throw them away, no litter bugs in that group. But after I gave about 15 or 16, the manager came out, kicked us out, and I remember feeling like, okay, we're kicked out. I didn't do it. I don't have to do this anymore. And uh, came back and you know, persecuted for Christ and gave out my tracks. But again, I felt like, why is this bothering me? Why don't I want to do this? Go to the next slide. You know, I was listening to a sermon the other day, and I don't think my feeling is all that unusual. The truth of the matter is that a lot of us don't really want to do this. There was a big Christmas production. It was at a big mega church, like 50,000, 60,000 people, and they spent $100,000. And for months, 15 hours a week, volunteers were practicing for this. And it was a huge extravaganza, rivaled Broadway. And this pastor came up and said, you know, this is wonderful. I'm sure it bore some fruit. What do you think would have happened if you had spent that $100,000 and those 15 hours a week getting to know your neighbors sharing the gospel. And he said, well, of course that would be better, but people won't do it. They're not going to do that. We want to do what we're comfortable with doing. I want to do what I'm comfortable doing. I love talking to you here because we're on the same page for the most part. Out there, I lose all my confidence. We're in denial sometimes. That's why we don't want to do it. We don't want to really believe there is a hell. We want to believe that everybody goes to heaven. There's a part of us that denies that. Or we think it's not our job. The congregation thinks it's the pastor's job. The pastor says, well, I'm teaching them so they can do the job. So everybody's looking for somebody else to do this, and yet God has called us to do this, even though we're afraid. You know, Paul's burden really strikes me. He says, I speak the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from the Christ for the sake of my people, those of my own race, the people of Israel. This is in Romans 9. Paul says, I have such a burden for the lost that I would trade places with them. I would be damned and accursed if my people could be saved. Now, I don't know about you. I'm happy to share the gospel, but I don't want to trade places. I really don't. And I'm thinking, Paul, I don't believe you. But he says at the beginning, I'm not lying about this. I have such a burden for the lost that I would give up my own salvation for their sake. 
And yet I don't even want to talk to him at Walmart because I'm nervous, I'm afraid. But I think one thing that I forget, and the one thing that the Lord has showed me, is that evangelism is supernatural. It's not about having my four spiritual laws down exactly right. It's not about me having my five questions that will lead people to the answer. It's not about my seminary degree or my Bible studies. It's about the power of God. It says here, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. That God's power has to draw people for salvation. It says here, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. We are raising the dead. When it comes to evangelism, we have to ask for God's power for a miracle. A miracle of resurrection. If you were tasked to go to a cemetery and God said, I want you to raise one, are you going to bring the best communicator? Sitting down in front of the grave, okay, according to the Bible, Lazarus was in the tomb for three days. Now, you've been in there three years, but we'll work on that. The truth of the matter is it doesn't matter how well a communicator you are or what your knowledge is. It's faith and power and reliance on the Holy Spirit. A few years ago, do you remember Narcisa, our, our friend from Romania? She was in the wheelchair, a wonderful, strong woman of God. And there was one day where Bob Felton had a service about miracles and power. And he prayed for Narcisa. How many of you were there that day? I don't know how you were feeling, but I was sitting over here, and I remember feeling, God, I want to see your power. Norchisa loves you. We're standing on the word. We're calling the Holy Spirit's power. I want to see a miracle. I, if, if you've ever moved, what a testimony this would be. Your name would be exalted. People would come to the Lord. Miracles can happen. Revival could start right here. And I was just, I thought if it's, I just believed. I believed God would move. Now, in that particular time, it didn't happen. But how often do we walk up to somebody to share the gospel and have that same kind of pleading faith that, God, you have to move here. God, your spirit has to touch their spirit. God, I'm calling forth life into this dead person. See, I think we think it's something that we're doing. It's not. It's simply us being used of God and letting His power flow through us. But we have to be yielded. And we have to be putting on the armor of God because the enemy wants to stop that. The enemy wants to kill that desire. The enemy wants to whisper in your ear that, well, this person isn't ready or, oh, they're not really. No. It has to be the power of God that we rely on. It's not about programs. It's about power. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be witnesses. Why is the power coming? The power comes to be a witness. When the power came at Pentecost, what did they do? They witnessed. When you are brought before synagogues, rulers, and authorities, don't worry about what you're going to say. The Holy Spirit will teach you at that time. You may have memorized a hundred scriptures. You might forget those, but the Holy Spirit is there. Let's rely on Him. He's there. Let's see what He can do. We need to pray for boldness. See, that's what I realize it is for me. I need prayer. I need help. I need the Holy Spirit to give me that desire. 
In Acts, after Peter and James were released from prison, they came and they prayed for boldness to preach the word. Later on, the meeting place shook and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and boldness. Paul, in Ephesians, pray for me that whenever I speak, that words will be given to me so that I fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. There are things for us to learn and do. We have our part to play, but ultimately, it's about letting the power of the Holy Spirit change our hearts, give us boldness, fill our mouths, and then marvel at what He'll do. Now, I just want to talk about the fact that our body as a church, this isn't just a series that we're doing, okay? Talk about evangelism, move on to something else, put, you know, dust that off, listen to it next year. This is something God has spoken to every heart on the staff, that our church is to reach out, that our church is to love our community, that we are not just to be in the huddle, but we're going to play the game. And so I want you to be prayerful about becoming part of a new ministry here called the Search Party. If you have a heart for evangelism, but you don't know how to do it, and maybe you don't even really want to do it all the time, but you don't want to do it alone. I don't want to do it alone. But I love you guys. And I know together we can discern the will of God and we can join together and support one another and find a way to love the world as abiding harvest. So I ask you to prayerfully, prayerfully think about where you are in this and know that wherever you are, God is going to empower you and bring us together and make a mighty army We pray for revival. I believe this is where it begins. So I hope that you'll consider that and join us over the next weeks and months to transform our hearts and our body and our church to be those who are sent with their feet with the gospel of peace. I just want to say one more thing. We can't share what we don't have. And I don't know where all of you are spiritually. I don't know if you have doubts about your relationship with the Lord. I don't know if you've bowed your knee empty-handedly and surrendered to His Lordship. I don't know if your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And I don't know if you know. So I just, as I invite the worship team up here, I'd like you to search your heart. And if you have a question and you're not sure, and you want to be sure, please come up and we'll pray for you. Thank you.